This is Overture, the Prelude Podcast. Welcome to the Prelude Podcast. My name is Christopher Willis, and today we have Alex. Hey. And we also have a guest speaker, Robin. Hey. So, Robin, uh, want to introduce yourself? Uh, yep, sure. Uh, so, my name is uh, Robin Williams. I currently lead a Purple Team at a, a large retail company. Awesome. So, thanks for spending some time with us on the podcast, Robin. So, we have invited Robin to the podcast to discuss mainly Purple Teaming, but I'm sure we'll diverge a bit from the topic as we go along. So, Purple Teaming is still considered a new term in the security industry. I personally remember my first time hearing of the Purple Team concept back around 2014 when a company I was working with at the university was exploring a new way of doing security assessments. I still believe Purple Teaming is an evolving concept. So Robin, how would you define Purple Teaming? Purple Teaming, in, in general, the way I kind of look at it is uh, as a bridge, not not just between uh, you know offensive and defensive teams or response teams um but as as a a uh, how do i say it as a a central like axle in the wheel uh if we're if we're thinking a kind of where um where purple team should sit within an organization it would be the the axle (laughs) in the wheel wow um so all these teams, I, I kind of look at all the teams um, in an organization as, as spokes, you know, coming into that, in and out of that, that central point there, right? And, and Purple Team helps to facilitate uh, in my eyes, not just, uh, you know, the technical aspects of, of uh, testing a particular TTP or an adversarial environment, but also helping to bridge knowledge gaps, uh, relationship gaps, uh, between teams and an organization, and then uh, getting everybody united under a, a common vision, a common mission, and, and getting teams to uh, understand that at the end of the day, we're all on the same team, and we all need to be under that same uh, protect the organization vision, and then uh, work on uh, getting those teams aligned with uh, the response teams, uh, because they, they play such a critical role in, in defending the company. Um, a lot of these teams in, in cybersecurity are just supporting mechanisms of, of the SOC analyst teams and things like that. Um, so we really have to kind of work towards shoving them in that direction. Like, Hey, um, you know, your roadmaps are, are awesome and they're great for your products. But ultimately, your, your focus needs to be on supporting uh, what the SOC analysts require to protect the organization at the end of the day. So were you hired as a Purple Team lead, or was this position kind of created over time in your organization? Uh, so that's a good question. So I was initially hired uh, to do offensive security for the company I currently work for, um, and then kind of as as a couple of years went by at the company you know um 
in any organization, you start to figure out the gaps, uh, either technology or people process and technology gaps, right? So um, you start to know and understand the business a bit more as well. Uh, so, so what happened is um, I kind of looked at, you know, our people process and technology gaps and tried to figure out, you know, kind of using like first principles thinking. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that, uh, but narrowing things down to like an ultimate like root and then start to, to solve the, the root issues uh, that are causing those gaps and, and work our way up. And, and that's kind of how Purple Team uh, at the organization I work for uh, got started. Um, so I kind of recognize, you know, there was a, a, a knowledge gap, you know, with SOC analysts understanding how attackers think and how they operate when they get on a system in the environment and things like that. So one of the first things we took a look at was, um, you know, what's causing them, you know, not to have the knowledge that they need. Is it, is it training? Do we need to put together like an internal training package, get them running through it? Um, is it just because they, they can't keep pace? Uh, so pace had a lot to do with it, right? You can only consume so much information every day. And if you're just constantly focused on, on response efforts uh, or you're waiting for technologies to build out, uh, you, don't, you don't have time you know, to, to go out on your own after hours and things like that. So, um, so we started putting together uh, uh, what I call knowledge shares, uh, which are just, uh, we go out uh, and we go take, uh, we started taking a look at, you know, the minor attack framework and then putting together essentially pr fairly quick presentations that were really easy to digest where we, present a specific TTP uh, to some degree of depth, not like a minimal amount of depth, but just like right in the middle, not, not too much either, because we don't want to overwhelm them. Um, but we talk offensively uh, to that TTP, how it's been used, you know, we identify threats that use it and things like that. Uh, and we kind of get in technical depth ar around the, the offensive side. Um, and then we swing it on them because they, at first, they weren't expecting it. Now they are. Um, so we would swing it on them and we would talk defensively. So how do we detect this? What does this look like in logs? You know, those types of things. Um, here's some like uh, general queries or, you know, some detection ideas um, that you might want to consider and take a look at uh, based upon this TTP and, you know, kind of what we've discovered in our own testing and things like that. In, in our particular environment, what works in our environment. So they really grasped, grasped onto those uh, so much. You know, we went from like, I think it was like once a month when we first started out. Um, and then we were doing them bi-weekly. <clears throat> so we're kind of at that crazy cadence of that. But that's kind of how everything got going. And then uh, then we had to test the technical side, right? Uh, you know, response processes, things like that. So it was back in uh, December of 2019 where we had like our first actual like purple team engagement where we focused on um, gauging our, our SOC response processes and things like that. Um, and then from there, it just kind of exploded.
It, it really sounds like a lot of what you're doing is helping people develop their OODA loop. <laughs> I know you and I are big believers in the the OODA loop. And at least as as described from what I'm kind of understanding, a lot of a lot of these organizations, sub-organizations within your larger or organization don't necessarily understand how what they do ties into the larger organization. And and in that vein, like you said with the SOC, they don't really have a, a complex understanding of the offensive side of the security. So you're helping them kind of complete that that OODA loop, the understanding, so they're able to better observe and orient to that that act, that particular instance. Is that a fair way to characterize the work you're doing, or would you characterize it a different way? Yeah, uh, and, and I would also say, you know, uh, a lot of people tend to get stuck in the loop. <laughs> uh, so it, I'm sure you guys have seen it, you know, in your experience, but, you know, they get to the point where they have to make a decision, and then they loop right back around to, the, uh, the first of uh, orientate. So they never make a decision and go through the whole loop. They just stop there and then start all over, make it back to a point of making a decision. And then it's like right back to square one. And a decision is never made about that particular thing. Um, and their loop might start over on something new from there. Um, so my big thing is, is, is if organizations want to um, mature to a level where they can get in front of adversaries, then we need to move at kind of two speeds. Um, and they're almost relatable-ish. Uh, we need to, you know, they need to be able to move at the speed of technology being implemented in their environment. And then they also need to move at the speed of, of threat intelligence, of the threat actors, of the information gathering you know, process that's out there between those uh, CTI teams, threat intel teams. One of the areas that I like to talk a lot about is the operation mindset. And and that's really what it boils down to. So for the listeners who have never heard of UDA, uh, that's a an operational mindset used in the military where you do observe, orient, decide, act. And you know, use that loop as a basis for making decisions as as circumstances arise. So you orient yourself to the situation, what's going on, you get a baseline understanding, you observe what's happening as a result of that situation unfolding, you make a decision on how you're going to react to that situation, and then you you act on that decision. And then you go back to the beginning of your loop and you observe the impact your action had. But applying that thinking to cybersecurity is specific is how you kind of start transitioning away from the compliance side thinking where, you know, you patch, I'm just going to patch this server and I'm done. And you move away into incident response. And how are you going to actually tackle an ongoing threat live in your network? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I want to say, like, I I think, you know, OODA loop, it definitely, you know, it's definitely beneficial to to go through that process. but also, you know, recognize that like if you're going to strictly kind of follow that that mindset, that OODA loop mindset, um, and and drive your like organization through that, that you need to to make sure that that your processes and and your decision making, um, and even you know kind of thought processes even um, are efficient and and quick uh, to move at the speed of which which we need to for cybersecurity, right? So 
I think, again, a lot of people, they get hung up and then they come to a point of making a decision and then they start right back over on a new problem. <laughs> well, that's that's kind of mil- military core tenets, right? You have centralized command and control, decentralized execution, and it's pushing authority down to your essentially equivalent line managers in your organization to make decisions and accept the risk of making those decisions. And really, it boils down to, do you have, like you said, inside your, your company, are your processes to the point where you your, your leadership can accept the risk of someone like you saying, this is what we need to do right now? I, sorry, we have, make it real, we have the Log4j stuff going on. We need to take this service offline, for example, because the impact that it could potentially have to our business is larger than the impact of us like losing money during that duration of that service being offline. And how how do you have a framework for assessing that risk? And then how can you make it like make decision points? Um, in the military, we called them pre-approved actions. Like what is the threshold for a line manager having the authority to to say we're going to do this? And if you look in other industries, I always like to make parallels. If you look in like the automotive industry and you look at uh, I forget the name of the company, but they introduced the concept of the Andon cord, where literally anybody on the the line, as things are going through production, can pull the Andon cord, and that brings the entire line to a stop. And that's in order to improve your processes and improve the quality of the product that you're delivering at the end of the line. But it also prevents people from pushing issues further down the line and saying, "Ah, eh, whatever, I don't care. Not a problem, not my problem. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in in applying that and on cord concept and methodology to cybersecurity and within your organization and allowing managers to accept risk. Alex, I thought you were going to go down a completely different path, the Fight Club path, and uh, talk about the uh, the uh, risk associated with uh, like car crashes and and recalls. <laughs> um, you know car companies do like look at recalls and how that will affect uh, an outcome of a crash. And I think that some, sometimes that's some of the negative, um, well, I would consider it negative approaches to um, a company that's not necessarily cyber aware. Maybe they know a little bit, but they're, they're more concerned about the money coming into the business and not necessarily the money that might end up being lost and then they can just top it up to insurance and say, Hey, this happened. Sometimes they might even not even do that. (laughs) Um, uh, and basically just let it go by the wayside. Um, I think a lot of that happens. Um, and, uh, there's a lot of companies that just don't want to own up to it either. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely embarrassing getting caught with your pants down. Right. So, yeah, you know, you have a brand to protect, uh, like every business has a brand, right? So they they want to do most of them want to do everything they can not to admit that something negative has happened on the inside, even if nobody knows about it publicly, right? So there's a scramble to protect the brand. There's a scramble to protect the the revenue. Um, there's a scramble to protect you know the customers uh, when it it's it's honestly far easier just to pull a system offline and say, Hey, we just protected our, we just protected all three things. We didn't have to, you know, beat around the bush about it. You know, we pulled it down. 
our brand is protected customers and we took a minor hit you know in the scheme of things um of like annual revenue right we took a very very tiny tiny hit right and we can work with our um you know like our our third parties or whatnot that an organization might be connected to we can work with them and explain to them the you know situation while we had to pull that particular system offline and why they couldn't you know purchase something I think you're hitting on a really interesting point here as well. We're going to see, in my opinion, a normalization of cyber responses over time. We'll just kind of see things will trend to people accepting certain things as status quo when it comes to how a company responds to a cyber incident or call them cyber incidents, but pretty much anything related to information security. And we already have now the government is making regulations on companies. They have to report if some kind of leak happens or if data is accessed in a certain way and what doesn't exist now is the public understanding of this is just the way it is if something bad happens to a company or if some big exploit comes out and everybody's getting hit right now the larger population has no concept of what that means and to us the world is burning down but to them things are just whatever it's all normal right and what happens if the internet turns off for 20 minutes one day because there's a seriously bad bug across something that underpins the foundation of all of the technology that we use. Will people just eventually start to understand that that's the, that's going to be the way it is. Sorry. Sometimes something's that bad and you're just going to lose access to Facebook for 20 minutes. Right. Um, I think in my opinion, I think we're going to end up going that way. Um, but now we're, we're getting a little <laughs> far away from the purple team topic here into more grandiose, <laughs> less fixable topics. I think part of our, our, our mindset really needs to be around, you know, making either inside an organization or even to the greater community, you know, making security as accessible as humanly possible and then making it even more accessible after we do that. Um, be, you know, from my experience, you know, what I see is um, a new security process gets put in place. Uh, people ignore it because they don't want to do it. It doesn't get done. Um, then we have issues during, you know, an incident um, or something like that, you know, comes up or crops up or something doesn't get patched because it didn't have, you know, what it needed because it didn't go through the process. Um, for that, and we sh we we should be, you know, as 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 people within cybersecurity, taking a look at those processes, and and putting them at at the front. So a a developer wants or needs to spin up a server in the environment and make it, you know, internet facing, right? Well, you need uh, SSL certificates. Uh, there's, you know, endpoint hardening that might occur, you know, um, endpoint security agents need to be installed, right? Um, and some of that happens automatically. But there's there's other things that don't, that the developer isn't necessarily going to be in tune with. So if we could put something together um, that ships, you know, every time a new server is spun up, this is the first thing they see. They have to go through this. They can't you know, spin the server up and make it internet facing until they go through this. And it's, you know, it's like, um, you know, one idea 
uh, I've kind of had is is when they spin it up and they first log in, uh, that process is already going in front of their face, and it's a you know it's a question you know do you need an SSL certificate? Yes, enter the information here. Um, SSL gets created, it gets set up. They don't have to worry about that. Um, but like you know that traffic is now secure, so we just you know built that layer for example. Um, you know, um, user access levels and things like that. Um, so you could start to develop, you know, things like that that could be right at the forefront of your processes that they have to go through that aren't crazy and complex uh, that could handle a lot of those things. But I think we kind of do it as an industry. We kind of, we do it to ourselves uh, because uh, in a lot of organizations, there's, a copious amount of red tape for everything. I mean, it's just everywhere. Yeah, you actually reminded me of uh, an article that I read that I was just trying to pull up. I can't find it. So Netflix introduced this concept that they call the security paved road. And they're trying to get exactly at the problem you were describing. And what they provided to developers over the course of several years in developing this concept is a way for them to essentially, from design, offload a lot of the security responsibilities to a centralized security stack. So that included their, uh, all of their authorization is basically handled. They just, they don't have to worry about it as a developer. They, they just import the library for authorization across Netflix applications and it's done for them. Same for uh, web application firewalls is basically just offloaded and handled. Uh, same for a lot of the provisioning and standard uh, DevSecOps type stuff. And as a result of that, I think I don't have the exact numbers in my brain, but from what I can recall, I think the lead time for getting an application into production went from several weeks to 24 hours. They could have a brand new service online in production providing services to customers in less than 24 hours, and it was secure by design. So I think that's a very poignant point you're bringing up, and it's also something we're going to see a lot more of. And there's already great examples out there on the internet of companies doing this that we can kind of take and adapt and utilize in our own our own way. I don't know if you guys have really kind of looked into like Netflix at all as a company, right? Uh, but the reason that works is because of Netflix's culture. And what I was about to say uh, before you, you kind of tied that in uh, was because of all that red tape, um, in a lot of organizations, uh, we lack a lot of innovation. So red tape is stifling innovation now in cybersecurity in a lot of levels. Um, so we have to clear away the red tape first, and we have to get people comfortable with the with the idea of of innovation, right? And and then we look at things like that. So Netflix in particular has a really amazing culture that's innovation driven, um, where those the vision is very clear there's no red tape unless it relates to things like you know compliance you know sec filings and, and things like that right um so they can bring in top tier people you know like top one percent in industry they bring them in high dollar value right um and then they say essentially innovate and these people get to work because they're you know the you know, top 1% in industry um, and they get to work innovating. And then you have things like um, like the processes you were talking about um, in regards to how they do, you know, security there. Um, we need more of that. Uh, it's terribly difficult to get around a lot of the red tape, you know. And, um, 
there, yeah, of course, there's, you know, there's business risk and there's concerns, but there's, there's business risk when you spin up a new service, you know, there's, there's business risk when you log into your, your windows, uh, your windows machine every morning, there's a risk. Um, and it's just about clearing away that red tape and allowing for, for innovation. Uh, so these organizations really need to take a look in inward and be like, okay, you know, do I trust my people to innovate? Do I trust them to, to lead us to kind of like a path to victory in, in cybersecurity um, and to keep the company secure? And am I comfortable with not only the risk, but holding those people accountable if it fails, right? Um, because you don't want people innovating a whole bunch of broken stuff. You want, you want the innovation to like actually be innovation. To bring us all the way back back to purple teaming, because uh, it's supposed to be notionally what we're talking about, right? Um, do you see that as a large component of your role as the purple teamer in your organization, building that foundation of trust um, across the management stack and the technical team? Absolutely. Um, I think the way that I look at purple team is different. Uh, there's some similarities, um, and we definitely do things um, a lot differently, I would say. Um, a lot of organizations are kind of looking at Purple Team as just being this like one-off, like cadenced type of process. Um, and then it's, it's just kind of like, you know, we'll, we'll get the intel, we'll build an assessment, and we execute, we'll work with the blue team. And then like, we're done until the next assessment, right? And then everybody get back together. So uh, I don't think that's the correct way. I think that's a good start, but I don't ultimately believe that like that's the path that should remain, you know, going forward. We should take a look at, uh, uh, you know, Purple Team is its own team and it's a team and it, it, its mission is to bring all these teams under the, the single kind of mission or vision of, of protecting and securing the company and getting all these other teams who might not have the depth of understanding offensively or defensively uh, in line to where their focuses should be and bringing those teams together. So like while we do, you know, various different tests and assessments and, and things like that, um, we also do like a lot of relationship building. So it's like critical because this is new for a lot of companies, purple teaming wise. Um, so you need that buy-in. So I try to, personally, I try to kind of like run things that we're doing like we're essentially a startup inside of a company. And I think that that approach has been very, very good for, for us uh, specifically, but I think it would work um, in different organizations too um, because that just that like startup mindset, that grinding it out, that having to innovate because we're, you know, we have to, we have to develop new processes. We have to develop, you know, different methods and avenues of testing. Um, we have to be able to understand and have processes around like different uh, technologies in the environment. Uh, we have to kind of figure out how we accurately gauge, you know, what's being implemented in, in our environment and things like that. So, uh, and, and fortunately, uh, currently, you know, 
a lot less red tape for us these days, which is nice, right? It allows, again, for that innovation. And that's what we've been able to do. We've been able to innovate processes and things like that and really drive our program to be uh, a singular team whose goal is to unite all the other teams, right? So, yeah, I, I have a really, I, I forget the exact word I would use here, but vulgar, I guess, question to ask you. What would your response to a purple team is just what a red slash blue team should be? What's your answer to that? (laughs) Should be. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What kind of question is that? Uh, Maybe I'm a little confused. Maybe a little more. It's a hot take, right? I I guess it's a hot take. It's a hot take. Purple team. No, uh, so purple team is is. Gosh, they should be. Gosh, oh man, this is a tough one. So this is a good question because, like, now I'm thinking about, it, I'm like, Ugh. I, th- I think you brought up a, a pretty good point at the beginning where you talked a lot about the people aspect, and I think that that's like a super important part of the purple team that can bring that to to that is where you 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 have offensive capabilities and and you know that side you also know the blue side and and the defensive aspects but you're also bringing in that that organizational knowledge and the people aspect um that really brings everything together and so it it ends up being a much better process like throughout you still need your your sock analyst and your defensive teams and and purple team isn't going to just be like your end-all be-all uh, but really, your purple team ends up being the 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 synergy that gets everything together, right? <laughs> and it's it's, it's kind of interesting because I think what I see a lot of organizations and where that question kind of stems from is if you are you familiar with uh, the P bed planning process, P- plan brief, execute debrief. So that's a that's a concept the Air Force uses for tactical planning, tactical planning, and tactical execution on mission, right? And a lot of organizations, at least as I've seen, in in their application of red versus blue type stuff, they only really do the E part with a little bit of the D. (laughs) Wow, phrasing on that. (laughs) A little bit of the debrief. We will keep that. Yes, we will 100% keep that because that's hilarious. So a lot of them will go through the execute debrief component. And the debrief is usually just a piece of paper that has an output of here are the vulnerabilities we found, here's what we got access to. And if you look at a military actual red versus blue exercise, the whole point of that is you have a, before you get into the execution component, you have a planning phase where you're talking about from the red side, your training objectives as a red team, what you're trying to accomplish, what the blue team has as their training objectives, and what you're going to do to help the blue team meet their training objectives. Then you go into a briefing where you're briefing to your leadership, here's what the red team is going to do in order to meet their training objectives, and here's what they're going to do to help the blue team meet their training objectives, and here's what blue team is trying to accomplish. And then you actually execute it, and at the end, everybody comes into a room together, and you do what's called a shot validation process. You, The red team will say, we did this. Blue team, did you see this? No, we did not. Okay. Go on to the next item on the list that they did during their exercise. But it's a very collaborative 
experience in the military. And I have not seen that in the commercial sector. And I think they use a lot of times commercial sector uses the verbiage of red versus blue, but they don't actually implement the, the core philosophies of what a military exercise should be and what a red versus blue should be. At least that's my experience. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Now, I would say that's, that's definitely true. That's definitely what I've seen too. Um, yeah, that's important. Like, uh, the, I guess it depends. I guess it depends though, right? Because, um, and I'll just, yeah, um, it, it depends like everything else, right? Uh, it should be as collaborative as humanly possible um, for most things, right? Um, but I think you start to get driven by, uh, depending on what you're testing too, right? So you have to take a look at, you know, are we are we going to be focused on like our response process during this test? Are we going to be focused on like our analysts, like knowledge, uh, like knowledge base? Are we going to be focusing on like our technology? So I took all that, I caught me personally, I took all that complexity of like, you know, what are the, the red team objectives? Uh, and what are the blue team objectives? And I just said, okay, it doesn't matter because they'll typically fall under three, the, the three, the people process and technology areas. And if we can cover those every single time we run like a, you know, like a full scale engagement, for example, if we can cover all three of those, uh, then we're meeting everybody's objectives and our focus should be on the primarily on the blue team anyways. Um, when we're we're doing a lot of our our testing, right? Um, so that's kind of how like I handled like that whole thing because um, you know like red team might have their own objectives as far as like well we want to test out this cool like EDR bypass thing, and then blue team is like well our objective doesn't really align with like detecting some unknown new technique it aligns uh, with more with ransomware. Right. So like, how are you supposed to build an engagement um, and have it be good between both the teams um, and still kind of like accomplish all of those objectives? How many pieces of ransomware do you see using like unknown EDR bypasses? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. You know, shameless plug for myself. I'm actually writing a blog series on exactly how to do that. So one of the one of the core premises of the whole planning phase of the PBED cycle is before you go into your tactical level planning, you're doing this process in like operational speak that's kind of called like strat to task, strategy to task. So you're taking your higher level business organization goals and you're breaking them down into um, operational objectives and then tactical objectives. And the goal there is that over like over the course of, let's say you're going to do a week long engagement, you're going to start with red team doing certain actions to meet their objectives and they're going to have their higher level objectives as you described and as you progress through the week the red team cranks up difficulty while the blue team attempts to detect and you find that threshold where they're no longer able to detect right no longer able to detect and respond to that kind of situation and that's that's where you know where your threshold is and that gives you a good um, measure of effectiveness like how effective is your blue team at detecting varying levels of complexity on across a whole like stretch of techniques that you're trying to test and where do you just lose visibility and that gives you a higher level across your organization 
measurement that you can apply for your next engagement and and looking at how effective are we relative to our previous engagement where we lost visibility on x day where we they did x level of technique and we could not detect it but now we are able to detect this and we've gotten a little bit better and red team can still meet their objectives in that case now that's a, a model that at least i've used in the past that i found fairly successful Oh, it actually works. I was going to ask that <laughs> kind of a, a spark question there, I guess, like that actually like works like results wise, like there's an, uh, I guess it, I, I, I could see how it works, right? Like, you know, there's, there's kind of like red team operational TTP improvement right now. They know that they probably can't use that anymore, or they could use specific things, you know, during like uh, red team operations uh, to get around defensive controls because now they already have a specific measurement that they already have seen, they already know like blue team can't detect this. So we'll just execute this every single time. And it, that tends not to do anybody any good, um, obviously. <laughs> so blue team can't detect it, right? So ultimate goal is to drive blue team to detect and respond, right? So I think if something hits that threshold, anything after that, like red team wise, it's like it's the only person it's valuable for is the red team. Well, red teamers typically, uh, from, from my experience, in, in my experience being a red teamer, they tend to be more technically savvy anyways. Um, so once once you've reached that threshold of like, okay, we no longer can see any of this stuff, like it's a good to know, but it doesn't really benefit any, like there's no immediate benefit, I should say, right? There's a lot of like scrambling to figure out, you know, like, okay, well, what what's the impact of this? how do we detect this and and i think those things are important but i think a lot of organizations will find like they're not even ready for the basic stuff in their environment right we've had so much talk on that like for me like i always like creating like super complex like adversary chains and it's just way too much right and so like so many companies are not even ready for the basics and it's it's really really um interesting to like for me to know that right like i'm always thinking like what's the craziest thing i could do right now <laughs> um and uh but a lot of times not even uh i mean of course like i think of the small business not really uh being able to gather all the complexity that you would have in say a, a complex adversary chain for instance but even like the um like your big organizations, your Fortune 500s, like they have a hard time with just complex or something that's the unknown. Yeah, and, and, I, and then I think really at that point, that's where you start to bring in threat intelligence into the 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 process, right? And you say, um, you know, what are the threats that our organizations face? Um, and then you start to, you know, you score them out, um, or however however you do it and you determine kind of like who who and what is a priority threat to your organization and then you base uh, a lot of your purple team efforts around those um high priority threats right and then you get through those um and from there um you know, once you've taken care of those high priority threats, you know, you can you can choose to go through those medium and lows, but uh, really the focus should be around like critical and high, right? And then um, 
then you become Intel driven and you start keeping up with like Intel, uh, the process, because the, the threats change, right? They, they change almost on a daily basis for an organization these days, uh, as we've seen with like Log4j, you know, um, if the, if, and that's the other thing too, like, right, like a vulnerability can become like a priority threat to an organization. That's something to think about too. It isn't just about like adversaries in Russia or China uh, or, or other nation states, right? Uh, so being able to quickly ingest that intel and then you skip a lot of the planning phase, right? Because you're, you're at that point, you're not really concerned about red team objectives. You're like, this is the intel. This is what we need to be driven by. Um, and you go right into execution. So you essentially get rid of like a whole phase in this process and you're able to rapidly execute these things based on intel. Um, and that helps immensely these days, especially uh, to push your organization um, further in maturity um, and efficiency, right? Because they get used to being, uh, they get used to be driven by Intel. And if that's constantly changing, then at some point, uh, our process, if it's inefficient, it will fail, right? At some point. So with the fails, somebody's going to take a look at it and they're going to make it more efficient uh, because they're going to have to keep up with the cadence, the the speed of threat Intel. Uh, which personally, that's my goal, <laughs> you know, start doing it, break things along the way, uh, feel really silly about, you know, like, like outdated or old school processes, the way that we do things in cybersecurity, uh, just in general, uh, you know, root cause analysis on those things, solve the problem while we're execute, like, uh, you know, executing through, you know, yeah, sure. Our process failed, but we executed, we found the failure. Um, guess what? We're looping right back to the Intel because it's already starting to come in again. And now we got to execute and go break another process. Somebody's fixing that, that, that first one. And we're already working on going through and potentially maybe breaking another, another thing or highlighting another gap. Um, so we have, you know, you start to identify all these gaps, all these broken processes and then, yeah so it, it kind of sounds... maybe i'm a little crazy <laughs> no no it's not I, I i agree because it sounds like you're taking a much more holistic approach to to risk management in your organization um it's uh, there's a description out there where you have intent capability opportunity right and basically what you're describing is can you ingest this threat intelligence and determine those three things what what who would actually attack us from the intent side what capability do they have and what capability exists and what opportunities exist and something like log4j something that's actively being exploited i mean pretty much across the board pins out your intent capability opportunity uh, risk meters in all three categories and it becomes something that's extremely important to everybody very quickly uh, but there's other stuff right like the nso exploit that i was reading about which is just next levels of ridiculous for in terms of intent they're not going to be burning that on exploiting every single cell phone on the planet just doesn't make sense the capability is there right and the opportunity is there they can do it those are extremely high but you're never going to detect that and the intent is low so what is the actual risk profile of that being used to target someone in your organization could be very high probably not 
Yeah, I definitely agree. I think a lot of a lot of organizations like fail to go through that process. So, uh, you know, you have a lot of red teams taking it way beyond what they need to to make it through the environment. Uh, you know, internal red teams. You know, they just they tend to go. They tend to be ambitious, highly intelligent, and just itching for some, you know, shells, right? Dunk it on the <laughs> um, blue team. <laughs> yeah. And and even, you know, even with a good relationship with the blue team, um, I just think that, you know, most offensive teams are just, just driven like that. And that, that's how they're used to operating. But really kind of have to, like, pull them out of the purple team process in some regards, uh, especially if you, if you're looking at purple team as its own separate team, if you can get, um, you know, that red team person on there and that blue team person on there and then like Intel and like you kind of build purple team as a separate team, but with those, each of those capabilities within that purple team, um, you end up faring out because, you know, you have blue team experience, you have the Intel experience, you have the red team experience. So you can get all those, all three of those people in the same room. And then you come out with something that's, it's more applicable. It's more realistic. It's more Intel driven. Um, and it's really providing impact. It's providing impact right to the organization uh, in a positive way. Um, and it's causing a lot of people and teams to refocus um, instead of being like, oh, man, we really need to worry about this crazy um, iOS exploit or, you know, something tragic going on out there. Uh, we should focus on ransomware, for example, um, and its impact and opportunity to get into our environment and things like that. And then. That's how you drive it. Yeah, I should be a CISO. <laughs> I don't want to brag. No, no, <laughs> no, you you bring up a great point. I've had this conversation with many people. So I, I think I you know a little bit about my background, but I worked in an air operations center where you're doing operational level planning, uh, and you're during your exercises, your op for your red team is very different from what the commercial sector considers a red team, and it's more of what you're describing. It's like almost exactly what you're describing. Your red team is a part of the exercise is going to a external organization is going to come in and lead the red team. And they're going to go to every single person in your like every team in your organization, they're going to grab one person. And that one person is now going to become part of the op for and as that op for they are going to plan the best way to really crank up the heat on your organization and make it hard. And that's how you really figure out what your centers of gravity are and what matters to your company. Because an external red team only knows so much and can only glean so much from reading wikis and not actually exposing themselves to the teams. But building those coalitions inside your organization, and honestly, like if you want a great way to get people to buy into your program, hey, I'm going to do an exercise, tabletop war game, and I want to use people from your team, one person from each of your team, to come up with creative ways to break things in this company. What's more fun than that? Who wouldn't jump at that opportunity? But then you get the buy-in and you also discover gaps you might not have known about. So you do that from the red side and the op four side. And that sounds more like what you're describing. It sounds more of that collective approach and holistic approach of understanding what your company's threat profile is. If you want to, I think if you want to be successful and you want to be uh, successful, like really long-term, you know, for decades to come, then 
then you have you have to do it that way. Um, I'm just I'm very fortunate enough to be able to do it that way currently, which is great, right? Um, a lot of places aren't, but that that that's what they should strive for, um, in my opinion. Um, get rid of the red tape, innovate, and and understand your business. That's a big part of it. Um, beyond just you know what your your business does day to day, start to understand the impact of of things that happen inside of your business, um, even if it's not like cybersecurity related, right? Um, and those will really help kind of flip the switch on your mindset and get you kind of business driven as well, uh, which is super important too. Um, and that takes a lot of time um, and effort and it takes like relationship building. Um, it's terribly difficult in a large organization to understand how it all operates, especially if you have, um, if, especially if your company, for instance, like, you know, purchases other companies you know, kind of umbrella underneath to provide another service or something like that, or they work with uh, third-party vendors uh, at scale. So like hundreds or thousands of them. Um, it's important that you understand how all that works because that that third kind of third, those third parties become a risk to your business at some point. Um, what does that look like? What is the risk? How does that all operate? And then um, you try to at least for me, try to find opportunities where you can like innovate like cybersecurity in those spaces quite a bit. So I really try to focus on innovation personally. <laughs> How can we, you know, a lot of people just, they don't know, especially, you know, like on the IT side or the business side, like they don't, they don't know much about cybersecurity in a lot of places and most places I would say even. Um, so you got to get them spun up. You got to do it quickly. You got to do it rapidly. It's got to be easy digest digestible for for those teams and those people um and then you, you have to get to know their their processes and their parts of the the organization and then um you have to kind of like pull yourself away from it and look from the outside in um and really see like what's broke and where um where purple team can help innovate them to be more secure right and get in there so what would you recommend to a company that listens to this podcast or a person that's in a position kind of like you were in to get started? What what would you recommend as the starting point for that that team or that person or that organization to begin to make a difference? Take a look at what you're missing. If you have a if you have a blue team, right? Like just straight up ask them, what do you need? What's broken? And then take that back, you know, in in your realm and and figure out how you can help them fix that using purple team and like innovate your way through all this because there's there's just so many variables at different organizations it's hard to give like a really specific answer right because someone could do like if i put out a purple teaming framework right now someone could take that and try to implement that in their organization and it'll fail because it just doesn't work they might have more red tape or they might have less, or they might not have the buy-in and things like that. Um, so it just might not, it might not work, right? So taking a look, I'll, I'll tell you, people love problem solvers. And I like solving problems myself, but people that have it, problems like people to come in and look at it, especially people that are like external, right? So if I'm looking at the blue team and I see a problem with their uh, response processes, 
well, how can I help them? And I'm going to take that back with me and I'm going to try to figure out how to solve that problem using purple team, right? So what, what kind of testing do we need? Do we need to focus our testing efforts? Uh, do we need to develop a specific way we do these testing efforts? Um, do we need to get on like a specific cadence? You know, do we do bi-weekly, quarterly, yearly, you know, whatnot? Um, but I would say, take a look at like your organization around you, figure out what's making it tick and, and where you can innovate. I guess that's like the best, best advice. I mean, it sounds like like Silicon Valley advice, but it, <laughs> I'm just finding, you know, I'm just finding that it works. Like it just works. Um, like don't ask quite, I mean, ask questions, but like, I guess maybe this has to do with a lot of like my Marine Corps experience, but I'm just used to operating like small unit, you know, wise, you know, very, very small unit uh, based. So uh, discover a problem. Don't ask if you can just do it because because you you're confident in your own abilities um, and then present the solution. Like, don't try to implement, you know, like an endpoint security product in your environment, but like try to figure out how to solve that problem and then have the solution ready to go and then present that solution and then get the, get the buy-in. Right. So, it, yeah. And that's true for even, you know, purple teaming. Right. So build up your idea on how you're going to solve all these problems with purple teaming. And then, um, Pitch your solution, like get leadership's ear and, and, and pitch the solution and, and get your buy-in, get like visible thumbs up if you need to, like high fives and stuff like that. But like me personally, I wait for like one, all right, this is good. And then like, I'm off, like I take off like a rocket and I, I'm just to outer space and like, that's it. <laughs> you said good to go. I just need one of you to, to keep pushing this forward. I don't need you know, six people to tell me, okay, this is awesome. I need one. And then like, it's movement time. It's time to get going. Uh, and some, you know, really when, when we look at the, the realm of cybersecurity, a lot of organizations are like, you know, maybe a decade behind the curve. Um, and the curve is only getting more complex as, as the years go on. Right. So it's a lot of, uh, a lot of catch up in the game right now. I think still, even for mature organizations, uh, they're still behind. Uh, it's about catching up. If we want to get in front of the adversary and the threats, then we have to move at the speed that we're implementing technology and the speed at which uh, threat intelligence is moving. If we can't do that, we'll never, we'll never be done. You know, putting out fires. Uh, we'll never be ahead of the curve at all. So I, I think uh, you know we're we're running up on time here, Robin. I want to thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and. Uh, we got to do this again like this was a great conversation and uh yeah so much more that we could we could talk about <laughs> oh yeah definitely thank you guys for for having me on this uh this was super fun so this concludes this overture podcast we still have one more podcast to go for the month of december so keep an eye on that if you haven't downloaded operator yet now's a great time to do so you can download prelude operator at prelude.org this podcast is distributed on all major po podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And with that, Prelude, signing out.